Amen. Well, we want to focus today on uh, the death of our Lord. And we're going to look at His last words. And then we want to share communion together as we're reminded of His awesome sacrifice for us. And our text is in John chapter 19, although we'll be looking at various Gospels. But John 19, verses 20 through 25. And I want to ask you to stand in our great God's honor as I read our text. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Let's pray. Father, as we consider the cross, Lord, that you willingly went to the cross. And as we take time to look at the last words you uttered on the cross, Father, guide our time together, our worship. May it be directed to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And may we do a checkup of our own spiritual condition. Have we been to the cross? Have we received the gift by way of the cross? I pray this morning, Lord, you would speak and that we would worship you, the one true God, in whose name we pray. Amen. I just want to open up, share a few last words through history that were shared. One guy, Voltaire, who despised Christianity, who despised the Bible and made it his life's goal to stomp out the Bible. As a matter of fact, he claimed within a hundred years that there would be no more Bibles. Interestingly enough, a uh, hundred years later, his house became a distribution center for the Bible to be distributed all over the world. But anyway, here's his last words. He said, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I am worth if you will give me six more months of life. Here are the last words of P.T. Barnum, a member of Barnum and Bailey Circus. What were today's receipts? The last words of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. The best of all is God is with us. And then one more, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. His final words were, Christ died for me. And that's what we want to be reminded of this morning as we look at our Lord's last words. Uh, The first three statements occurred in three hours. 9 a.m. to noon. It was the sunlight of day. And then following that, 
for the next three hours, there was a mysterious darkness where our Lord hung upon the cross in silence. And then he would utter the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then I am thirsty and it is finished. And Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Crucifixions were well known in that day. It it tells us uh, in ancient history that within Palestine, there were up to 30,000 crucifixions that had already occurred. Just in Palestine alone. And in that time of the crucifixion of our wonderful Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we want to go through His statements. First one here. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's Luke chapter 23, verse 34. just want to say about this statement, often when we think about that statement, we think, well, this is what Jesus uttered from the cross. But what we don't realize that is in the Greek... It is a reference that he didn't just say that once. He said it over and over again. What was it like while he hung on the cross? Did he have a receptive crowd that was behind him? Was in his corner? Sadly enough, we read that the soldiers had mocked him. That the religious leaders had jeered him. And that the criminals cursed him. And yet, through all of that difficulty, instead of giving what he received, he said over and over, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. In 1947, Princess Elizabeth and the Duke of Edinburgh were married in England. And there was different royalty who were there at the event outside the massive crowds and one of the attendants was the king of Iraq who was a 12 year old King Fazel the second he was more interested in the prancing horses than the actual uh, events of the wedding and so he tried to get close to one of the horses and he was restrained rather forcefully And next day in the newspaper, there was an apology and it said, King Fazel, we are so sorry. We didn't know who you were. There were many there that day as they had the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings and the Lord of all and the Passover Lamb who died for all of our sins. But obviously they didn't really recognize him as he hung upon that cross. Second words, Luke 23, and actually verses 39 through 43. I just want to look at verses 39 through 41 of Luke 23. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same... Sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. What an amazing statement made by this criminal. 
we deserve this. He was coming clean with, with his crimes. With the punishment he was receiving. He said, but, but he doesn't deserve this. He was recognizing that he was completely innocent. And, and then he, he asked in the next verse, verse 43 of our Lord. Or 42, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I love the answer of our Lord. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. See, you had the first man, Adam, who was ultimately a thief as he took fruit from the tree. He was told, hey, don't touch that fruit. And he took the fruit and he ate that fruit, the forbidden fruit. He was a thief. And yet, here we have a picture of another thief who hung beside Jesus upon a cross. But Jesus said to him, in his mercy, Hey, this is not a step process that's going to take uh, several weeks, and you have to go through several courses, and you have to do a, you know, a whole bunch of good deeds and in order to get into paradise. He said, you will be with me in paradise tomorrow. You're going to be there. He says, he couldn't earn salvation. He couldn't do penance for his sins. He couldn't join a church. He couldn't be baptized. What he could do, was received the gift that Jesus offered, that gift of salvation. And, and, you know, sometimes we hear people say, well, you know, I, I intend one day to receive that gift of salvation, but, you know, I'm, I've got some time left. I, I have some things I want to accomplish first, but I will, at a time in the future, receive that gift. The trouble is, you don't know when the last opportunity will be. You know what's amazing? As we think about the thief dying on the cross, we say that was his last opportunity. But in reality, it was his first opportunity because it was the first time that he was in the presence of Jesus. He didn't wait till the last opportunity. He took that first opportunity. Third words, John 19 and verses 26 and 27 When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Jesus didn't have possessions. As we think about a wheel, who's going to get our stuff? After we pass into eternity, he didn't really have stuff to deal with. I read the longest will on record is like 95,000 words and the shortest is like three words. But in this case, Jesus' concern was his mother. He wanted to make sure his mom was going to be taken care of. And so he turned to this disciple and he, he basically said to her, Hey, this, this is your mom now. Mom, this is your son now. And he brought the two of them together. After that statement, those statements, there are the three hours of darkness that occurred. We read in Matthew 27, 45 about the darkness as it, it blotted out the light of the day. And there are at least three reasons for that darkness. First reason that was taught by the rabbis of that day was that 
darkness was a sign of God's judgment. It was a picture of we have finally rebelled against God and are paying the price for our rebellion against God. And that's why it's dark. And as a matter of fact, the ancient documents also talk about this darkness. Not that it just covered the area where the cross was, but it covered the whole world for that time as a sign of judgment. Secondly, a symbol of mourning. Listen to these verses from the book of Amos, chapter 8. This is from uh, the second part of verse 9 and verse 10. He says, I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark and broad daylight. I will make it like a time of mourning for an only sun. This time of mourning was very costly to Jesus to those who loved him. And then thirdly, it was a Passover symbol. The darkness needed to be understood in its connection to Passover. Do we remember the ten plagues that of Egypt? And we think of the tenth plague of the death angel that passed over Remember the ninth plague, the plague that preceded that was a plague of darkness. Where darkness covered the land for three days. It is what happened before that tenth plague, which was the plague of that Passover, that need that Passover lamb of that killing angel that would occur. Here, it is not three days of darkness, but it's three hours of complete darkness. Why did it occur? Because it was the morning, it was the judgment. Because of that lamb that was going to be slaughtered. That lamb who ultimately would give his very life for sin. That's why. Fourth words, um, Matthew 27, verse 46. This is a statement where Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. Sin isolates, sin separates. Jesus on the cross, He said, God, where are you? Why was there this separation? Because God is holy. God cannot tolerate sin. He cannot look upon sin. It it tells us in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13, He says, "Your, your eyes are pure. You don't look upon sin. And Jesus... Man, he not only dealt with sin, he became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. All of the black ugliness of sin was placed upon Jesus while he hung up on that cross. That, That was that picture of, why have you forsaken me? It's because it was for that brief moment. There was a true separation because of all the sin. Your sin, my sin, our sin placed upon Him. It's interesting, that word where Jesus uses, where He says, why have you forsaken me? The same word Paul used in 2 Timothy 4.10 to talk about Demas. It was one of his fellow missionaries who it tells us left Paul, deserted him to go to Thessalonica because they loved the world. In this case, Jesus felt deserted because He loved you. Because of the sin. That he paid for. Fifth words. John chapter 19. Verse 28. Later knowing that all was now completed. And so that the scripture would be fulfilled. 
Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Jesus was offered this wine to drink, and sour wine was the cheapest possible drink. And they placed it so they would not have to touch him. They, they placed it on this branch to touch his lips, to touch his mouth. Isn't it interesting that he began his ministry hungry and he ended his ministry thirsty. And yet he says, in, in John 7, verse 37, records his words. He said, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And in John 14, verse 4, it says, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. And then there's the promise in Revelation that we have been studying, chapter 7, verse 16. He says, They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more. And Revelation ends in chapter 22. It says, Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. His thirst meant we would not have to that we would know the eternal water, the living water that quenches. Seventh words, the last words. I'm coming back to the sixth ones. Those words, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it says, when he had said this, he breathed his last. But there were words spoken before that. I will spend the rest of my time on here. These words that John... 19 verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Arthur Pink, in his commentary, says that the words here described said he shouted. Not a, a cry of desperation, but a cry of completion. That that gasp of his worn out life was really a shout of new life. Of a new start. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. That word finished used in at least three areas of that day to speak of a servant. The master would give the servant a task. And when that task was completed, he would be able to say to his master, it is finished. I have been able to do completely what you have asked. It was used of artists who were able to paint a beautiful portrait and then step back and see that creation and be able to say it is finished. The picture is completed. And remember, on the Emmaus Road, as the disciples walked with Jesus, and He went through the whole Scriptures. He went through the Old Testament until He came to the very time of the crucifixion. And the whole time, they, their hearts burned within them. Why? Because they heard the message of the promised Lamb who went throughout history and then came to the way of the cross and paid the price. And, and they understood. Their hearts believed. It's a beautiful picture that had been painted for them on that road. And then there were merchants who, when they wrote out a receipt, they said the debt is paid in full. You paid for it. It's completely yours. And the picture here, it is finished. Salvation is ours through Jesus Christ. The great work of the gospel, it's not do-do-do, it's done. I love the story of Alexander Wooten. 
an interesting evangelist of a, another generation. One guy came up to him and he said, Wooten, tell me what I have to do to become a Christian. He looked at this guy and he said, it's too late. He said, what do you mean? He th- I said, I'm not joking with you. I really want to know what do I have to do to become a Christian. He said, it's already been done. You can't do it. And see, that's the story. That's what this cross is about. He did what you and I could never do, that we may receive what we never deserved. It is a finished, completed work. In the Old Testament tabernacle, there were no chairs because the work of the priest was never finished. But Jesus Christ, He rose from the grave, He went to the Heavenly Father, and He is seated on that throne because the work is finished. What separates those who are saved from those who are not? It's not what we do. It's have we received what He's done. We all see the cross and we see our sins. And will we bow ourselves before Him and receive the gift that He offers? Uh, In my studies, I read about a story that happened in rural Lake County in Florida of two elderly sisters, 180 and 184. They went shopping one day 20 miles from their home. They got lost and ended up driving in circles. <laughs> Figured they had driven probably uh, 200 miles, 60 straight hours. Finally, they ended up, uh, they had driven down a bank, car got stuck and a farmer found them. One of the sisters was dead and the other one was delirious under an orange tree. They said, why didn't you get help? Why did you just keep driving around? And she said, well, my sister and I have always been independent. We don't want to ask anybody for help. We want people to know that we can take care of ourselves. We would have never dreamed of admitting we needed help. The problem with that is it didn't end up so good. And it doesn't end up good for us when we stubbornly say, I can get through this life by myself. I don't need help. You need a Savior. And so do I. Matter of fact, Jesus said, I came to seek and save those who are lost. Luke 19, verse 10. O. Henry, the writer of short stories, his final words were, have someone turn up the lights. I don't want to go home in the dark. And as we prepare for taking the Lord's Supper, that's what this is about, guys. As we take the bread and we think of the cup, we don't have to go home in the dark. For all of eternity, there is a light that has entered this world. His name is Jesus Christ. And the call is come to the light. And the call as we partake of the Lord's Supper is to proclaim His death until He comes. And we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup. We proclaim. I'm going to have a word of prayer. Dad's going to come down here and we're going to set the table and I want you to Prepare your hearts as we partake the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you love us. And we want to celebrate that through the Lord's Supper. So, Father, do a work in us, Father, as we remember you and your death upon the cross. May we ask the question, where am I? Have I been to the cross? What did I do there? Christ's name we pray. Amen.